Episode 2, A Podcast Spreads Its Wings. Welcome to Meeple Night, a podcast about board games past, present, and future. In today's episode, we discuss what we've been playing recently, review Wingspan by Stonemeyer Games, and then discuss our top gateway games. I'm your host, Andrew Caprell, and here's my co-host, Josh Knight. Good evening, everyone. This is Josh. So we're going to start off the, the our second episode tonight talking about the games we have recently played. Now, myself, I, I got a couple of more roll and rights to the table, games that we talked about previously being Railroad Inc., and that's pretty clever. And I specifically want to mention those because I played Railroad Inc. with my mom and Veronica, and Veronica continues to excel at this. My mom is getting better, and I finally got my first victory. So after 15 games, I finally got a, a, a W in the column. And then for That's Pretty Clever... Veronica absolutely crushed me in that, so much so that, oh, I don't know if I can get that back to the table in the next week or so. Uh, she got almost 300 points or something ridiculous. Uh, so I have to give a shout-out to the Rolling Rights we mentioned in the first episode. Uh, still fun, still getting to the table about once once a week. We have not gotten uh, Railroad Inc. back to the table. Well, we have gotten a Rolling Right to the table. So uh, the one I'll start with is... Fleet the Dice Game, which is Eagle Griffin Games and designed by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle. So, as I said, it's a roll and write. And it's a little bit more complicated of a roll and write in that there's two pages. One is called the boat sheet, and the other is called the town. And so it's split into two phases. And in the boat phase, you're using dice that you roll to pick out, uh, for example, a tuna or a lobster to pick out licenses or boats, which you'll use to then go fishing to catch these fish. And then during the town phase, you're using a different set of dice, which might have coins on them, or an anchor, which I think is a wharf, or a market, or town buildings. And you're, anyways, you're using those to build buildings to score bonuses or special powers or do a little bit of extra fishing. And it's all about building this efficient engine that catches hundreds of fish maybe not hundreds because you only catch about 50 or 60 in the game but uh yeah that's the idea uh i love the nautical theme of this one and it's easy to get to the table like most rolling rights around the kids and we have a dice tower that looks like a lighthouse that the kids love to play with so we let them kind of drop the dice in so i really like this one as far as the rolling rights go well, that's awesome. It's one that I, I'd be interested in playing, and the same designers just came out with a new one on Kickstarter called Three Sisters, which I, I supported. So I'm excited to get that uh, in the mail in a couple of months and to give it a try, because Fleet the Dice game looks pretty cool. I like the nautical theme, too. Yeah, and I think I, I actually ended up passing on Three Sisters because I thought the nautical theme worked for me. I was a, I'm was a Navy vet, so you know there's something about the, the water just always pulls me, but I think... You having the farming theme will be a nice completion to the yeah. <laughs> to the. It'll be fun. Well, another game that I, I've been getting to the table. I haven't played as many games over the last couple of weeks. Working on a night float here, but uh, too many bones. I've got a campaign going. I mentioned it last episode. I was going to get a solo campaign running, and I've been quite successful with it. I absolutely love that game. Uh, spoiler alert: It actually might be flirting with overtaking my number one. <laughs> Uh, this has just been absolutely incredible. It's just wow. And the one thing that I, I've got a couple of promos, and one of them was this Gearlock Child, which is meant to be a shout-out to Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. It's This is just so much fun. And it, it's been a, a blast to get through that as a solo campaign. Uh, but the other game I wanted to, to mention, Veronica and I got to the table before I started Nights, was Azul Stained Glass. Now, Azul is a fun game, which may come up a little bit later in this episode, but this is actually the second version of Azul, and it's still kind of have this abstract mentality, but you're just drafting these tiles, and you're trying to create this quote-unquote stained glass, and it's very unusual mechanism after you draft the tiles, but it's so much fun. The actual tiles themselves look like Starburst, 
And it, it's a great little game. It's can be a little swingy at times. We've played it three times, and this most recent time, I blew Veronica out of the water. Uh, use your nautical theme on you. But it, it's still a very fun game. It's got a little meat on the bone for those of us who are more hobbyists, but there's still enough structure there if you're new to gaming that it can still be very fun. Have you played the all three Azul's, or is this the second one you've played? I've played all three. So the third one is Azul Summer Pavilion for anybody who hasn't played all three of them. So there's Azul, Azul Stained Glass, and Azul Summer Pavilion. We get Azul to the table more. Of the three, I think I personally prefer the Summer Pavilion, but it's kind of a toss-up. I I'd still like the basic Azul. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the same, same way I fall. Summer Pavilion's our favorite, and it's the one that... If it's just Nicole and I, we would pull out the most, but when we're playing with other people, then we usually default to Azul, and I like Azul Stained Glass. I think it's the components are really pretty, that like translucent little pieces that kind of look like Jolly Ranchers, but uh, <laughs> but they aren't edible. Nope, don't, don't do it. Well, see, the next game on your list is one that you and I have played frequently. <laughs> yeah, so... My next one is Alchemist, which is published by Czech Games Edition, or CGE, and designed by Matush Koltry. It's a deduction game, mainly, and the, the mechanism that you use to go through the deduction is worker placement. So what you're doing is you are alchemists competing to try and find out the chemical composition of, I think it's eight, or maybe ten, I don't remember. It's eight or ten ingredients. I think, the, I think it's eight. Eight. And so there's an app that helps randomly generate the composition, which is there's three spheres, red, blue, and green, that make up each ingredient. And then those spheres can be positive or negative. So, for example, something might be a red positive, blue negative, green positive. And that would be the chemical composition of like a mandrake root or something. And so the goal is to try and deduce what the chemical compositions are, because at the beginning of the game you don't know any of them. And then you're trying to publish them before your opponents do. Or, if your opponents beat you to it, then prove them wrong, which may or may not happen, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mostly does happen from our experience. Yep. And then uh, the turns are actually fairly simple. I think there's eight worker placement spots. Uh, so you're just kind of choosing when to wake up, and that establishes the turn order. And then you'll place your workers on different action spaces to get ingredients and then test those ingredients in different combinations or make potions to sell. And then if you make money, you use that money to buy artifacts, which gives you special powers. So that's kind of the idea of it. But the main focus of the game is on trying to figure out what those chemical compositions are. And I love that deduction game our our friend james said that it's kind of like the lsat game section <laughs> and i didn't realize that beforehand but now that i've thought about it it is kind of like playing one of those games just trying to you have very limited information and then you try and complete the whole pie base making assumptions though we played it with the base game and the expansion and i prefer it with just the base game i think that's fair so my thoughts of this, it's kind of hot or cold. Or there's sometimes it, when everything clicks, when you've made those deductions, it's, it can be a very fun game. However, one incorrect assumption, especially if it's early in the game, will totally disrupt your entire game plan. And it kind of, for me at least, takes the game from very enjoyable to, meh, why am I keep playing this? And you're just kind of trudging through mud. So it's very kind of flip-flop on for me in this standpoint. So I'm not quite sold on it. I'll give it another try later down the road to see maybe I just burnt myself out of playing it so much so frequently. But yeah. I, I'm not as uh, in, in love or thrilled about this game as you are. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's fair because if you play it, make an incorrect assumption and you find out a third of the way through, you start getting proven wrong. And then you're like, um, okay, my whole model of what I was trying to think everything was is built on these assumptions. Which one is wrong? You don't know anymore. And so you kind of either suffer through an hour or start all over and you're behind two rounds. Yeah. So I can imagine that's that stinks. It's tough. Well, the other thing we, we wanted to bring up and uh, besides games that we've been playing is that a very important awards were just announced. 
So do you want to talk about the nominees for this award? Sure. So this award is, uh, it's, it's a group of awards uh, generally known as the Spiel des Jahres, which is German for Game of the Year. And there's three categories, the Kenner Spiel, which is an enthusiast game, uh, Spiel, which is just the game, and Kinderspiel, which is a kid's game. So in the Kenner Spiel, we have Lost Ruins of Arnak, a favorite of Josh's, top 10 even. Uh, Fantasy Realms, which is uh, the the original inspiration for Red Rising, which we reviewed last week. And Paleo, which is, I think Josh owns it, so we are hoping to play that soon. Yeah. And then in, in the spiel, we have The Adventures of Robin Hood, Zombie Teens, and Micro Macro Crime City, which between the two of us, I don't think we have any experience. Nope. I'm not sure if you do. Not yet. And, and so the spiel des Jahres tends to be a little bit lighter of a game than uh, Josh and I typically like to play. So I think that's probably the reason for that is it's they're closer to gateway games usually or family games. Yeah. And the micro macro. So we'll kind of talk a little bit about our thoughts on, on this one. Uh, jump in a little bit here. The micro macro crime city for me is one that looks awesome. Unfortunately, I did not jump on it during its first print run. And now it's probably going to get even harder to obtain just being nominated for this prestigious award and let alone if it actually wins it. So that looks like a fun game. It's like Where's Waldo. It's not actually a game, but it's who doesn't love Where's Waldo or I Spy. Like this is something for all ages. (laughs) Really, really, really cool. And that one's kind of interesting. And then the uh, Kinderspiel, uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Fantasy Realms, and Paleo. uh, I think those are interesting games fantasy realm has been out here in the states for many years so it's kind of just getting over there in germany in 2020 so that's it's got a little fan base over here lost ruins of arnak for those of you that probably make fun of me for my top 10 is the cult of the new uh I, i personally think that one is an exceptional game and i'm gonna give a little shout out they just released the solo campaign out today so uh, the solo campaign for chapters one and two are, are now available, and I, I highlight that specifically because I help playtest for those. So I kind of have uh, a little eggs in, my, in the basket on that one. So maybe I'm slightly <laughs> biased. I think Arnak might win that category, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, so I think the biggest thing that struck me when I saw it was just the wide spread between the games as far as complexity goes in the Kenner spiel. So Arnak seems like one that's a little bit more complicated. I don't want to use complicated and it's not a negative term. It's just a neutral, maybe even positive term in this, in this case. According to board game geek, it's a medium weight. Cause that's what it just took home. The, the medium weight category for oh, game of the year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just less complex than I thought it was, but just typically what I associate with CGE is something that's a little bit medium, medium heavy. AKA alchemist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then fantasy realms. I mean, like I said, during the last podcast, my understanding is that's a 20 to 30 minute end of the night kind of game. So just weird uh, spread between those two. And it seems like fantasy realms would typically be more, of a spiel nominee maybe it's a little bit too heavy for that too much comboing maybe red rising would definitely be too heavy for it but i think red rising is more complicated than fantasy realms not to dive out of the those games but. yeah and then yeah spiel and kinder spiel i don't have any input or thoughts and i probably if you get micro macro i might play it but i don't think i'm gonna end up playing any of those games yeah um, Though, I mean, that doesn't mean that I don't play Spiel games, because Azul was nominated for the Spiel back in the day, so yeah. Yeah, three years ago. <laughs> and that's almost like a little spoiler. Some of the games I've got later in our top five were either nominated or won. So they can be very good games. It's just a prestigious honor, and it actually is huge for these companies because it results in selling a bunch of these games in Germany. Yeah, it's a big marketing thing. Uh, to be nominated for this as is any award i guess we forgot you know at the beginning 
how's life? You just came off of <laughs> a week well, of nights. Yeah, that's been fun. And then the, the most important thing, though, happened before I went on to nights. So I, I ended up proposing to Veronica. And yeah. uh, obviously she I'll said yes. I'll pretend that I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was a really joyous, joyous occasion. Best friend Jeff was there to capture the the moment. We have oh, awesome. the most adorable picture of the dogs, humorous and cheddar. They're watching me as I got down on on the knee, and it was just it was splendid. It was a perfect night, and I I'm really looking forward to the the future with Veronica. Yeah, congrats. That's awesome, man. I was I was excited when you told me it was coming, so I'm yeah. <laughs> glad. I didn't want to text you and ask because I didn't remember the day you said you were doing it, so I didn't <laughs> didn't want to ask if we were talking about it today, just in case. Yep. Uh, you know, yeah, everybody's it's... phone is a different amount of private. Yep. So we we're excited about it, and we're about to go take a little vacation, kind of escape, much needed, but also to celebrate us. So we're really looking forward to that. Well. Should we move on to our game? Yeah, let's do our game. Tonight on Meeple Night, we review Wingspan, a competitive bird collection engine building game for one to five players, designed by Elizabeth Hargrave and published by Stonemeyer Games. In Wingspan, players are bird enthusiasts researchers, bird watchers, ornithologists, and collectors, seeking to discover and attract the best birds to your network of wildlife preserves. Will this instant modern board game classic live up to the hype and take flight, or will it have a crash landing? For setup, each player is going to have a player mat, they're going to have five cards, and you're going to receive two bonus cards. You're going to pick one of these two, and that's going to have a strategy for you to follow throughout the game. And of your five cards that you're given, the five bird cards, you'll decide how many of these you want to keep. Because for each card you keep, that's one less food you'll have. So you'll have a combination of two cards and three food, somewhere along those lines. And it has to be three different food. So the game is actually played over four rounds, with less actions taken each round. In the first round, you'll start with eight actions. And in those actions, you can play a bird card, gain food, lay eggs, or draw a bird card. So we'll go through a little bit more of the specifics. If you play a bird card, you pay its cost. On the card itself will be a worm, a fish, something along those lines. You're going to put it in a specific location. There's three locations on your player's mat, which includes the forest, the plains, or the water. So that's the play of the bird action. You can also gain food, and there you'll gain a number of food based on the number of birds in your forest space. The other action is lay eggs, where you'll put eggs on different birds, and those eggs will equal victory points at the end of the game. And the last action you can do is draw a bird card. And then there's an actual display of three birds, or you can take a face-down bird card. So when activated on these specific locations, you'll have a stepwise triggering of this card engine that you built. For instance, if you put a, if you want to gain food, you'll put a, a one of your little cubes on the forest space. You'll gain a food, and then it'll trigger the next bird down to the left of that. So this is how each round occurs, and then you have a little bit of structure in each round where there's a target end of round scoring tile. For instance, number of eggs within the forest. Now there's two different ways that you can score these. Sometimes it's most eggs will get the highest victory points, or sometimes you'll just get one victory point per egg in that specific round. So after you've played four rounds, the end of the game, you're going to get victory points based on your birds themselves, the bonus card slash objective that we mentioned earlier, the end of round goals, the eggs, food on cards, because sometimes you can stow a food on top of a card, or tucked cards in which case sometimes you can have cards behind birds. So just to give everyone kind of a general ballpark for this, the average score is about 70s, and I would personally say a great score is greater than 85, which is pretty difficult to obtain in, in my opinion. Yeah, thanks, Josh. And uh, so after the rules overview, the first thing we'll talk about is our first impressions and aesthetics of the game. So I'll start since you, I'll give you a little break from chatting 
So my first impression was, well, everyone likes this game, so I don't like this game, <laughs> which is a terrible but sometimes instant reaction that I have. You know, like the hipster thing. I didn't end up trying this for actually about a year until it came out, and I did not think I was going to like it. <laughs> but when we finally got it from the local board game shop, uh, one I jacks, we bought a dinged copy for $30, so it was probably the third or fourth printing by the time it was easily available. And I was stunned by the quality. You know, I heard it on reviews, but like the the rules paper... It just feels, I don't know, kind of parchmenty or something. And then the eggs are really pretty. They kind of look like those malted eggs from uh, Easter time. Very dangerous. Yes, Very, those yeah. delicious <laughs> eggs. Oh, boy. And then it came with a dice tower in it and trays that you can hold your food tokens or your eggs in if that's what you choose. But we were a little bit disappointed with the food chits because the food chits don't match the quality of everything else. So I agree with, with what you were saying. The The art itself is absolutely gorgeous. This is one of those that you could see on Ornithologist's book or something along those lines. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing art. And that texture of the, the cards of the rule book, it's so cool. I think it's a linen finish, but yeah, that's I, I like the cool dice tower. The, those eggs are absolutely awesome. The, the one thing I will add is the, the wooden dice, and it kind of has oh, yeah. a nice natural feel to it. Because, again, you've got a nature game about birds, and you have wooden dice. It's a nice little thought. Uh, so even though the, the food chits did kind of fall a little flat, it's simple to upgrade those. The other thing that I felt uh, was a little flat was each player cubes. They're just basic colored cubes. I picked up some 3D printed ones in the shape of a bird. It's a little more thematic for me, and it gets me tied into the game a little bit better. But overall, re really great aesthetics of this game. So the the rules review or, or reference. So this one, the book itself is fantastic. The rule book is very thorough, very clear cut, gives you specific examples, so that way you wouldn't have any questions. Now again, like I've mentioned before, I'm love looking at videos as well, and. I actually watched Watch It Played with Rodney Smith for this one. And if you are hosting a game night after purchasing this game, you can actually go to Jamie Stegmeyer, who owns Stegmeyer, uh, Stonemeyer Games. He actually has how to teach video on YouTube. So you can actually learn how to teach this game yourself. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. I, I did not watch a video for this. Well, I have watched the Rado video for this. Uh, to when we were evaluating whether we wanted to buy it, but when it was time to actually learn it, Nicole taught it to me. So she she read the rules the first time we played, and then I haven't needed to use the rules again since we first learned a few months ago. I think it was about six months ago the first time we played. So the rules are fairly straightforward. Because you mentioned the index earlier, I don't know how you could fix it, but the index we struggled with a little bit uh, when we had the European expansion mixed in. Uh, when we played Tuesday or Wednesday, and we had a question about what are the birds, and it was a little bit hard to find because it's organized by bird powers rather mm. than by the birds themselves. So it makes sense because usually there's three or four birds that have a similar power, so they can be grouped together, and so it saves space, as opposed to if you had each individual bird listed and had to look up each bird. That would take up a lot more space. Probably, you'd probably have two or three pages more on the index. So I understand why, but that would be my only complaint about the rules. Well, what do you think about the gameplay itself? Well, uh, for those that paid attention closely to what I liked about my Red Rising and Bruges, uh, you should know that I love drawing cards from a huge card pile <laughs> to discover <laughs> <laughs> what I'm going to get and then make an engine out of whatever cards I end up with. I just like that balance of discovery and engine building. And I think this one's a home run. I think this one does a little bit better than something like Bruges or Red Rising because you can mitigate some of the luck of drawing because there's three cards face up. So with those three cards face up, you can make a somewhat educated decision. None of those cards may be good for you, and you still might end up drawing a card anyways, but 
uh, it's one step better than just drawing cards from a deck. So I I love this mechanism. Yeah. How about you? So this is another mechanism that you love too, is the activating your engine or having that, that tableau that you've built. And I think this, this game does a fantastic job because you would thoroughly enjoy the compounding your turns. As you put more and more birds into play on your game mat, then your next turn, even though you're actually going to have less actions, you are going to get just about the same amount of depth or same amount of uh, turn, like activating of that tableau to get more rewards. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And I think one of the things with gameplay, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is the about the length of it. But each round, they said you start with eight actions that first round, and you'll end up with having, is it, I think it's four actions in the last round, something like that. So you're having less actions per turn, but it still feels like it's the same length each round. And I think that's truly unique, that this thing is so well balanced, that even though you're losing an action around, you still have mitigation of that as you're doing this building of your engine or your tableau yeah and it's not hindered by a lot of other you're not doing a lot of other stuff other than building this engine so it's very pure and the other thing which within gameplay i think this is a great gateway game for this reason i mentioned the bonus cards that you're going to be dealt so you get two bonus cards you could potentially gain more throughout the game but the end around scoring so both of these are going to be means for you to hone in your engine. So that way you're not just going into the wild trying to capture all these birds and getting them into play. You're looking for a specific bird, or specific food type, whatever it might be. So you are having organization to your game each round so you're not as lost. And I really enjoy that because it, it allows somebody that maybe isn't as experienced with this hobbyist game to ease into that experience. So what about the flow of the game, which I mean, I think we've kind of been hinting at across the mechanisms. Yeah, I I absolutely love it. Like I said, when it comes down to the same length of each round, uh, the round scoring itself, so the end of round scoring, it's there's some things to it with you can actually get one victory point per goal that you obtained or you can get the victory point you'll get a certain amount of victory points if you're the most or second most i actually noticed that that actually didn't create any real difference score wise but like i just alluded to it does give you the ability to kind of hone in to figure out how you're going to play that specific round so i think the flow of the game is it feels very natural it doesn't feel broken up because you also know what's going to come and say round three while you're playing round two, so you can kind of plan ahead a little bit. So I think the flow is very smooth, and it's perfect. Yeah, I agree. I don't really even have anything to add. The The one thing I, w- I will say we're getting into, is this game fun? And I really do think so. I, I'm no ornithologist, but I, I do assume that the specifications of each of these birds are true. So for instance, one bird specifically wants to be in the forest or the woodland, or a bird wants to be in the water. I know a duck likes water and doesn't want to be up in a tree, but some of these birds can be in multiple locations. And I I think that's really cool. It's also educational. And it gives you a moment to kind of pause while your opponent is taking their turn. You can sit there and be like, huh, let me learn more about this blue-footed booby or whatever these birds are. So it gives you a chance to actually look in and learn about birds, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and you can kind of go with whatever suits your fancy for that day. For like, There's some days where I just want to see a bunch of cards, and so I can go for a strategy where I load up the water section to just get a bunch of cards, and then it's fun for me because I have 10 cards in my hand, and I'm reading all these birds, and it's so cool. <laughs> or you can fill up the, I think, the prairies or the wetland. I don't, Yeah, I think it's called the prairies, where you lay the eggs, and you can just have all these eggs all over your field. So I don't... <laughs> it, it, i want to nice. play it right now but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i do think there are so whenever you're trying to critique a game you're we're mentioning a bunch of positives but i think there is some kind of negatives to, to the gameplay as well uh, i'd like to bring up so there's sometimes i felt cheated when the my opponent decided to take a grab a food action because if they take that food dice and 
I really wanted one of them, and if it's only like one type of the dice that or one type of food remains in the tray. But I did just recently learn, watched a, a video by the brothers Murph, who has a, an excellent YouTube channel, that apparently this was fixed in the Oceana expansion. Part of that was dealing with nectar being wild, a new resource. And because in this base game, the two food can be one wild, but that nectar gives you that one nectar can be wild for anything. So I think that might potentially fix this complaint that I have of the base game itself. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that you could do the two and that's kind of how you mitigate it. So uh, we kind of already talked about length. So uh, kind of links in with fun, but uh, excitedness or likelihood to play it again. How likely do you think you are to play it again? I already mentioned that I'd play it again right now. So yeah, this is one of those this is excellent. This is a game that we frequently get to the table. We probably get it every couple of months or so, which, again, for a hobbyist that has 200-plus board games, uh, playing the same game every couple of months is pretty good. And it's nice to get to the table. I love the fact that you don't have to get delve into the rules. I don't have to w- even watch Rodney Smith teach me how to play the game again. I sit down, and I play it. So I, I think... The it's highly likely to continue to get to the table. The length of it is absolutely perfect. I think it's about 45 minutes to uh, probably about there. And it's absolutely fun. So I think this is one that does continue to get to the table, and it, it's excellent. So theme, we, we had mentioned this before, but the art and components, I think, draws this, draws you in to make this very thematic experience. I, I just feel engrossed, and this has its own uh, soundtrack that you can even uh, buy or download on <laughs> That's awesome. iTunes. So if you don't want to buy it, I mean, just have Apple Music. So I don't know. I I can get engrossed in the theme. I guess is probably the way I should say it. And I kind of well, you're going to use the comparison of between this and and Red Rising. Red Rising could have been a Harry Potter theme. It could have been any other intellectual property. It didn't have to be that specific Red Rising book. And however, this screams Bert. And maybe it's slightly off that, like you said, maybe that one duck doesn't lay eggs or whatever it might be. But it's pretty darn close. I can sit there. I think it's birds. Even the Dice Tower is a cute little birdhouse. Like, it, it, it really does encompass everything into this game. And I think it's there. So... Leading into, how about our overall thoughts? What do you think of Wingspan? Yeah, so here at Meeple Night, we score things on a five-point scale, starting at one being the lowest, which is not fun. I would pass if asked to play. And up to two, game is okay, but not likely to hit the table. Three, good game, worth playing in the right situation. Four, great game, almost always willing to play and need to have access to it. And finally, the prestigious five, amazing game among my favorites, must own it. This one was really easy for me, right? Uh, this is a five. This is an amazing game. I, I love this game, which I know I, know I jumped a little bit to score. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I th- this is a game that when I did my rankings for top 10 was in my top 10, but I did not play it enough to to know that was this really that good. And... I mean, I think we'll see where it stands when we, whenever we do top tens again. But this is this is a favorite for me. It's that right balance of being uh, light enough to get that 45 to 60 minute play, which is, like I've said, the time that I really need to get a game that I want to play over and over again and still give me that engine building. And because there's some randomness to it, which I know other people might not like, uh, with it only being 45 minutes, it does not bother me at all. If it was a two-hour game, sure, it'd be mm-hmm. frustrating, but I, I like it a lot. It makes the games feel different each time. Yeah, and I think that also kind of going into to my overall thoughts on it, there's so many bird cards. I think I've played this well over 10 times, and I have only seen the same birds a few times. I think that's awesome. Now, I do have the European expansion to it, but overall, this is an excellent gateway game. And we'll just we'll define gateway game here 
in a few minutes. But this is a very balanced game with minimal, what I'm going to call, cheats that apparently will get fixed by this Oceana expansion. And I'm excited to keep getting this to the table. Apparently there's another expansion in the works in addition to a big box to hold everything. This is a game that we frequently play and will continue to get to the table. And this is something that overall this is outstanding. This is There's a reason why this game won the Spiel a couple of years ago. And it actually ended up, I just saw the report, Jamie Stegmeyer sold 400,000 copies of this game last year in 2020. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Rightfully yeah. so. It's excellent. And for me, I, I'm going to give it a four. But this is a, a fantastic game. So this is going to come in at a four for me, five for Andrew. So Meeple Knight is giving Wingspan a nine out of ten. Finally, we'll close out tonight with our top five gateway games. Yep, so these are what I'm going to define as entry-level games. You may hear them as gateway, or I also like to think of it, if you had $100 to start a collection, these are the games you should consider. And these are casual games to play with friends or family. So we're actually going to start off, it's, it's hard to narrow it down just to five, but we each are going to have some honorable mentions. So, Andrew, what's just made it just outside of your top five? Yeah, so actually, before getting into my honorable mentions, I wanted to start with uh, kind of how I crafted the list. And so when I'm thinking of gateway games, I'm thinking of games that are enough to get you addicted to the board gaming hobby, but not so much uh, depth to them that they're overwhelming before you've even really had a chance to determine whether you like board games or not. So. With that, uh, here's some of my honorable mentions. Uh, starting with a couple of the classics of Pandemic and Dominion, uh, and then uh, Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle, King Domino, and Azul. Okay. And for me, I have The Mind, Codenames, and specifically Codenames Harry Potter, Fireball Island, Holy, Festival of Colors, and Tesoro. So going into our top five, Number five. My number five is Codenames, mentioned by Josh earlier, <laughs> published by Czech Games Edition. This is a party game, which is a type of game that's usually just good for larger groups of people. And it's one that I think it was 2016 or 17. I should have that in my notes. But you have a grid, five by five grid of words, and somebody is the code giver who has to use one word to link as many of the other words as possible. So you might have, typically it's Harry Potter related with us anyways, which is why we've never played Harry Potter because then we'd be screwed because we'd just say Harry <laughs> Potter for nine. <laughs> but it always ends up being like, oh, look, there's broom, pot, lion, Harry Potter, three. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so you're trying to link as many words together and then get your team to guess all of your words. So I think one team has eight and the other has seven, or maybe it's nine and eight. Uh, but it's it's a really good game to make you feel clever about connecting words together. And it's great for a party environment because there's definitely some downtime to the game. But yeah, that's my number five. So my number five is going to be Sagrada. So this is a fun game. It's based on a drafting mechanism. And it's not going to be the last time you, you hear that phrase. And this is a game that has multicolored dice that you're used to fill a 4x4 grid, or I think it's 4x4 or 5x5 grid with 5x5 grid with some limitations uh, that you have to have a specific dice color and a specific slot or a, surf, a specific pip for a specific location. There are multiple expansions to this. There's variable card difficulty, both with... How do you actually place your dice as well as having some different help cards or some individual and group scoring? This is one of those that has, you can keep it as simple as you like or you can beef it up as much as you want. And it's extremely fun. It's not as cutthroat, which I think is very important for a gateway game. So number five for me is Sagrada. Number four. 
My number four is Fuse, designed by Kane Clanko and published by Renegade Game Studios. This was one that Nicole and I played when we first got into the hobby. It's a cooperative real-time game, so cooperative being that there's a group of you playing together against the game. Uh, I think this plays one to five players. And then the real-time component is that there's a 10-minute timer to complete the round. And so what you're trying to do is meet as many goals. So like you'll have two goal cards that are get a red dice, a blue dice, and a yellow dice, or get a two, a three, and a five. And so you grab as many dice as there are players, roll them. Each person takes one of those dice, puts it on their card. You're trying to go as fast as possible to complete all of the cards. It's cooperative, which makes it that it's not head-to-head. So, you know, it, that that's what makes it a nice gateway. And then the real-time pressure uh, helps you kind of amp it up a little bit. You can play with the music off, which is we've played that way before, and then the game gets a lot easier because there's nobody yelling at you about running out of time. Or you could play on a shortened timer, or you could add more cards in if it becomes too easy for you. So it scales in difficulty, which we really like, and I highly recommend this one. So that's my number four, Fuse. My number four is going to be a game that just recently came to us, Kickstarter backers, and that's Canvas. This is a also a drafting mechanism type game where they have these gorgeous see-through cards and you're trying to make a painting. So over the game, you're going to build three paintings. You're going to score those paintings based on these four scoring cards. The aesthetics of this game are top-notch through the roof kind of has that same top-notch quality that we had just mentioned in Wingspan because it's a cloth playmat. And like I said, those see-through cards kind of hooked me in just like some of my other favorite games like Mystic Veil. This is a fantastic little small game and the expansion just actually recently finished up on Kickstarter. It's called Reflections. This is a fun little game. It's one that Veronica and I played multiple times. We've brought it over to a friend's house and it played with uh, Jeff and his wife. Absolutely fantastic. So my number four is Canvas. I haven't played that one, so I have to try that one sometime. Maybe borrow it from you or play it with you. <laughs> A pre, pre-Andrew and Josh heavy game. Yeah. Number three. All right, my number three is Spring Meadow. It's published in the United States by Stronghold Games and designed by Uwe Rosenberg. This is a polyomino game. So polyomino games are kind of Tetris-inspired games where you'll have the typical Tetris shapes, you know, three boxes in a row or an L shape or a T shape or a U shape, and you got to line them up to get as much of the board covered as possible. And there's little gopher holes that you're trying to not cover so that the gophers pop up and then they're worth extra points at the end of the game and it's another one of those really puzzly type games that is easy to chat while you're playing but if you want to just sit there and really think and play a really analytical game you could play that kind of game as well so there's a series of games in this called i don't remember what the name of the series if there is one but it's cottage garden indian summer and spring meadows our favorite one so that's my number three spring meadow my number three is a game called King Domino. I talked about the spiel earlier. This actually won the spiel years ago and multiple games that have butted off of this. But King Domino is a game where you're trying to build a kingdom and you're using dominoes. So put them together and you've got King Domino. <laughs> it's a quick setup. It's a straightforward gameplay with, guess what? Draft mechanism. And it's very fun. This is a game that we've brought out to my future sister-in-law and and it's just a game that it's easy to play we will take it to a winery and and play it there on a table fantastic small little game there's multiple variable games like i mentioned to this Uh, the one we actually enjoy the most is the roll and write duel because veronica and i like playing that together Uh, there's also a, a queen domino which is a little more for a hobbyist So maybe not necessarily for a gateway game, but King Domino was the first and has an outstanding game that I highly recommend. And that's why it made my number three. Number two. Okay, my number two is On Tour, published by BoardGameTables.com, designed by Chad Deshaun. This is a roll and write game, so... 
you're rolling two dice and then writing the results onto a we call it expo board. So this one has two d10s, which are ten-sided dice numbered zero through nine. And so you'll roll those. They're big chunky red dice. And let's say you roll a six and a three, then you have to write a 63 and a 36 on the board. And the board is a map of the United States, or if you have the expansion, a map of Europe. And what you're trying to do is make the largest contiguous route to make a rock band tour all the way across the United States. And the longer your route is, the better you do. I like this one because it's a very pure roll and write. And there's not much else going on as far as the puzzle goes than just the numbers and connecting them. And so that's why I think it's a great introduction to roll and writes. Yeah, that is a fun game when I played it with you guys. A little challenging, very dependent on how those dice roll, but a very rewarding game to be your number two. Uh, and one thing I sorry didn't mention about it is that everyone uses the same dice. So it is swingy, but at least everyone has to deal with the same dice. So my number two is a game called Draftosaurus. Now, you might not have been able to guess it, but it's a drafting game with dino <laughs> meeples. So if you love dinosaurs and you're starting to get hooked on these drafting mechanisms, Draftosaurus is an outstanding game. So this is a game where you have these cute little dinosaurs and you'll take one and you'll pass it your hand of the other remaining dinosaurs to the person to your left. Each uh, time you pass it, there's going to be a certain restriction that you say you have to put it in the forest area or the rocky area or on the bathroom side of the map or the coffee shop side of the map. So it has a little bit of this restrictingness. However, it's not too restricting. And there's ways for you to kind of mitigate it and be like, boy, I, I actually can't place this specific dinosaur in the, the rocky side. So it goes in the river. This is a fun little game, quick to set up. I love the colors, and two new expansions literally just came out. No, Andrew, I haven't bought them yet. But oh, this is, no. I know, right? <laughs> this is a cute game. I'm personally drawn to dinosaurs, and because I love Jurassic Park growing up, and it it kind of melds everything I really enjoy. So no, my number two is going to be Draftosaurus. Yeah, I forgot about this. This should have been. Either on my list or at least an honorable mention. This I, I like this one a lot for the same reasons you said. Dinosaurs and simple drafting. Gotta and love we it. Just, we used it as a filler a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's perfect. And finally, number one. All right. My number one gateway game is, already mentioned by Josh, Sagrada. Published by Floodgate Games and designed by Adrian Adamescu and Daryl Andrews. I mean, like Josh said, this is a drafting game of dice where you're going to roll two times the number of dice as players plus one I think so if you're playing four players you roll nine dice and each person is going to pick in a snake order so first player picks one dice and then second then third then fourth and fourth player picks again then third second first and you're trying to arrange your dice so that the same colors don't touch and the same numbers don't touch and then the right color has to go in the right spot. Uh, so at the end you have this beautiful stained glass looking window. So that's that's why we love it. And then it's our go-to pretty much. It's For a long time this was our go-to game and still it, it's between this and uh, Azul probably. But th- these are good ones to satisfy the gamer and the introduce games to people at the same time yeah it it truly is outstanding and i remember one of the first times i went over to y'all's house to play you had brought out sagrada so it's it is a great gateway game but there there has some substance to it for more of a hobbyist as well it's great so my number one i mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast is azul i absolutely love this game it's great to get out to the table it's a chance that the You've got these tiles in the center and you'll take a specific color of tiles and the rest of the color tiles. So if you take the blue tiles, the orange and the the red tile will fall into the center. And what you do is you just kind of go back and forth drafting these tiles. Oh, wait, yet another drafting mechanism game. <laughs> and you, you're building your this board with these different colors and if you can't take a specific color if you only needed two blue and you had to you were forced to take three 
then you dropped that glass and you'll lose a victory point. And it's it's a great game. It's like I mentioned earlier, the tiles are gorgeous. So maybe these are Starburst and the stained, gla- <laughs> stained glass version is Jolly Ranchers as Andrew alluded to. Making edible pieces. Yeah. Non-edible edible pieces. Oh boy. But this is a, a quick game to teach. I don't think it's terribly punishing while you're playing it. As I mentioned earlier, there's three in this series. There's also a few mini expansions out there, which I think once we purchase them, we haven't not used that feature. This is just an outstanding game. We love introducing this to friends, to family, and it's very portable. So that's the reason why Azul is going to be my number one gateway game. Well, in closing, we want to reach out to our listener base if maybe we got something wrong. Maybe we failed to include a game in our top five that you thought definitely should have been there. We didn't even include it in our honorable mention. Maybe you're still hurt that Gloomhaven was Andrew's number four (laughs) game of all time. Reach out to us. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And we truly are open ears. I knew our audio wasn't the best on our first podcast and we've made some adjustments hopefully that you've noticed that on this one but reach out to us tell us how you like the format other ways that we can improve and be an active participant in our listener base because we're doing this because we thoroughly enjoy it we want to get to know y'all as much as you're getting to know us in these short little podcasts yeah other than that just thanks for listening and give us your feedback and then Everyone, we'll see you in two weeks or a fortnight. So thanks for tuning in to Meeple Night. Good night. And good luck. listening to Meeple Night. Today's episode was recorded in Charlottesville, Virginia on May 21st, 2021 and uploaded using Anchor. Our theme music is All Night by Declan DP, provided by Audio Library Plus, which provides free and safe music for content creators. For all the latest from Meeple Night, follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group, or email us at meeplenightpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in two weeks, so until then, dream a little dream of games. Thank you.